morning. It's uh, good to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to grab them, open them up to 2 Corinthians. We are going through uh, this series in, in the book of 2 Corinthians called New Life, and uh, we're going to be in chapter 3 today, and uh, so you can, you can follow along there. We will be putting uh, scripture on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you, or if you prefer, uh, you can download a, a free uh, version on your iPhone or your Android or whatever the case might be. Uh, version is a free Bible app, and you can follow along that way as well. Uh, let's, let's pray before we dig into God's Word this morning. Dear God, thank you so much for your goodness, for your love for us, um, expressed most fully and completely through your Son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life that we might know you, that we might see your love and, and, and know it and understand it. And Lord, I just pray this morning that as we look at your Word and are reminded of your love for us, that our, our minds would understand well. Uh, what you would have for us this morning, and our hearts would embrace uh, that message. I pray these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a guy named, or was a guy named Vance Havner. Vance is, was an uh, evangelist, if you will, a preacher in the 20th century, and uh, was born in the early 1900s, and, and uh, passed sometime later in the 1900s. And he was, uh, he was an evangelist. As a matter of fact, he, he started preaching at the age of 14. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know, I, I don't know that I've ever heard a 14-year-old get up and preach a sermon, but it must have been very interesting. Uh, but he was, he was passionate about the Word of God, and he was a pra- passionate evangelist. He would later uh, go, go to Moody and, and was, was very um, sought after as far as a preacher and an evangelist around the country. And, and at one point, he was headed in, into a ministry where he was going to be traveling a great deal. He was going to be going from place to place constantly and sleeping in different beds all the time and eating different foods and, and all those things. And you think, especially early in the 1900s, you know, it wasn't like there was, there was uh, you know, a Hyatt in every town, uh, you know, and that kind of thing. And, and the same restaurants in every town. And it, so, so going on those kinds of trips could be extremely taxing. And if you've ever traveled a lot, you know it's even with, you know, these hotels and things that we find in different towns, it can be exhausting. And, and he was headed into this ministry. And he uh, said this about the ministry he was headed into. He said this, If ever there was a chance to prove that God's strength is made perfect in weakness, and that when we are weak, we are strong, this was it. The Lord had the strength, and I had the weakness, so we teamed up. It is an unbeatable combination. What a great quote, right? What a great understanding of who we are and who God is. That, that it is in our weaknesses that he is often strong. And I think what we find in the text 
today is something similar, that Paul has a very similar attitude when it comes to his ministry. It's not about Paul, it's, a, it, it's about Jesus. And he, and he starts out the passage in chapter 3 this way, this morning. It says this, are we, beginning, are, 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 we, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our, on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not the letter Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives lives. Now here's what was interesting about this text. As we've been looking at this text, and we we recognize that Paul had some detractors in in the city of Corinth, right? And he he writes this letter. It's not the first letter he's written to Corinth. It's not actually even the second. It's it's at least the third letter that he's, he's written to Corinth. There's one of them we have. That's 1 Corinthians one of them we don't have. We just have references to it. And so we know that it was written. And then we have 2 Corinthians, right? And so he had, he had written these letters and there had been issues that they had had to deal with. And, and, he, and Paul had his detractors in Corinth. He had people who were, who were critical of his, of his ministry. And he's, been, and he's been kind of defending himself in these opening chapters of 2 Corinthians. And what was common in that day is that, is that people who were itinerant, teachers or preachers would travel and they'd go from town to town and they would have letters of recommendation that they would bring with them so that they could they could go to the church and say see look here this person who you know and trust has recommended me so that I can teach and preach to you and so there would be kind of these this common practice it's kind of like if you wrote a book right and 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 you're you know you're not a known name but you get somebody who's really well-known, right? And they either write a foreword or they, or, they, or they write a recommendation and you put it on the back of your book so that, so that when people see the book, they walk into the bookstore. If people actually do that anymore, I don't know. But, you know, maybe you, walk, maybe you like bookstores and, and you walk in and you, and you pick up the book or maybe you're just on Amazon and, and you run across this book and you can look at the people and you can read what they've written about the book and they say, oh, this person has written this great work on, on this particular issue, right? And, and so then you begin to trust it because, oh, I I know that name. I know who that person is. And so that was what was done. So, so letters would be, as a matter of fact, we even see this in the New Testament. Paul uh, did, this for, did, did this for Timothy and he did this for others in, in, in Acts. And, and so he would send people out, right? And, and, and he would send a letter saying, please receive them because they are, they are doing good ministry. And so receive them and welcome them into your midst. And it would be a way of legitimizing their ministry. And so here's Paul. He's been to Corinth, right? He's, he, he's, uh, he's written to them back and forth. There's been this communication. He's, in many ways, he's influenced them in a huge, huge way in their hearts and their minds. And, and, and it, he even mentions that in the text today. And so he starts off the passage and he, and he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? In other words, he's going back and say, are we really going through this? Because Paul's detractors were coming and saying, you shouldn't listen to Paul. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He, his, his ministry isn't 
legitimate for this reason or for that, right? And you remember in the past couple of messages where, where he didn't go to Corinth when he said he was going to go to Corinth, right? And they, and they said, oh, he's flaky. You can't trust him. He, and, and so they're, they're, they're questioning his ministry and they're casting doubt on his ministry. But Paul's confident in his ministry. He's confident. Now, the, the reason he's confident is really, really important. He, he says, do we have to do this again? Do I really need letters from other people to show you that my ministry is legitimate when you know my ministry? You know me. My ministry is written not in letters, right? But it's written on your heart. You should know that, that my ministry is valid. He has confidence in his ministry. But the reason that he has confidence is really important. And we read it, and we're going to read it again. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, it says this, Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Now listen to this. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. But what's that next phrase? But our competence comes from God. Our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now here's the thing. Paul's really well known. He wrote most of the New Testament, even in that day, right? His story's amazing. I mean, here's this guy. He's He's, he's, he's Jewish, and he's, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees, if you will. He, he's really well-versed in, in, in the Old Covenant and the Scriptures that they had at the time. He, he, he was taught by the best of the best. It's like he went to the best colleges, and, and he came with all the right credentials. And he has this story where he goes around serving God fervently in his mind, and he's actually persecuting Christians persecuting those who follow Jesus. He was, he was there when Stephen was, was stoned, right? He, he's going out fervently in his mind serving God, and then he has this experience. He sees Jesus face to face, and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul's life is turned around. He sees the glory of Jesus, and his life is, does a 180-degree turn, and he goes, no, I will follow Jesus. So he goes from persecuting Jesus to becoming a follower of Jesus. The other disciples confirming his ministry, right, saying this is the, he has a legitimate ministry. He's serving God, and, and, and he's going out, and he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching that the Messiah has come. He's preaching that Jesus died on the cross, that he shed his blood, and that he rose again. He's preaching those things. So he goes from persecuting those people to preaching those things, planting churches, and, and all of these kinds of things. When he writes Second Corinthians, he's on his third missionary journey. And, he's, and he's, he's had all this experience. Paul is a, is a known commodity. People know who he is. And yet he stops and he says, do we have to really go through this again? Do I have to commend myself to you again? Do I need uh, letters of recommendation? Do I need to give you references so that you could call them and make sure that my, my ministry is legitimate? He came with a lot of press anyways, right? It wasn't that Paul didn't have any press. He came with press. I mean, it, 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 his story was magnificent. and People knew it. The churches knew Paul's story and how God had turned him around. 
But what we need to understand in this opening passage is this. It's not about the press, but the presence. It's not about the press, but the presence. See, the letters of recommendation, that's press. Right? You go on Facebook and somebody has a lot of likes, that's press. Like, who knows where those came from anyways, right? You know, somebody, somebody gets some, you know, I always wonder about these products. I don't know if you shop online. I, I do a fair amount. And I'm always wondering about these reviews, right? I'm always like, I wonder how many of those reviews came from people who work at the company. Like, does anybody else think that way? Like, I, I'm, I'm totally wondering. I, you know, they've got 35 five-star reviews and, 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 you know, they've got no detractors. And you're, you're, I'm, I'm always like, uh, 35. Like, I wonder how big a company this is. Like, they just gave the, they, they just gave the, the, all the employees a bonus, right? And said, hey, go on there and give us a five-star review. I mean, by the way, if you want to go to Grace Fellowship on Lakewood and give us a five-star review, uh, you're totally welcome to do that. Right? But that's, that's press, Right? It's press, and, and it's, it's a marketing strategy. The, the letters of recommendation, the references, those kinds of things. It's, it's press. But the thing about that is that press doesn't really matter. There's a lot of preachers who get a lot of press. And some of them may, in, may very well be great men of God, but some of them are not. And you know this because if you've watched the news for more than any significant amount of time, I don't know, a couple of years, you've seen multiple preachers who have, who have fallen, God forbid, that I ever go down that road. But you know, but they came with a lot of press, this really well-known person, right? And they, and they fall and, they, and, and they're, all of a sudden you find out that their ministry wasn't legitimate for whatever reasons and you begin to think, oh my goodness. But it's not about the press. It's about the presence of God. The presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul says in this passage, right? He says, it's, look, it's not my competence. It's not, it's not my skill. It's not my, my talent. It's not any of those things that matter. Those things are not the issue. The issue is this, that you have seen the letters of recommendation. The only letters I need are the ones that are written upon your heart because you've seen the Holy Spirit transform your life because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know the legitimacy of the ministry because of what God has done in your heart. It's not about the press. It's about the presence. And Paul's making this point and he's emphasizing this, right? It's not about the letters of recommendation, the likes on Facebook, the number of followers on Instagram or Twitter or, or the number of clicks on your website, right? It's not about any of those things. It's about God's presence in your life and in your ministry. Now, here's the thing. You might be going, well, this is great, John, but I'm not really in the ministry. And I, and, and I just want to tell you, if you're not in the ministry, then you're not following Jesus. I want you to hear that. If you're not in the ministry, you're not following Jesus. Now, I was, now, now I'm not saying you need to go to seminary and get a degree and get, a, you know, I'm not telling you to become a pastor. We got, a, you know, we, we got those. We, we need more, but, you know, we got those. What I'm telling you is this, that when you follow Jesus, you have a ministry. Your life is your ministry. The word of God is written on your heart. The Holy Spirit is in your life. God has put you in the place where you are, planted where you are so that you can grow. And not only so that you can grow, but so that you can grow others. You work in the schools, great. That's your ministry. Are you a CPA? That's your ministry. Are you a construction worker? That's your ministry. I'm not telling you to get a different job. I'm not telling you you have to go to Bible college. I'm not telling you you have to do that. I'm not telling you any of those things. But I am telling you this. 
that when you follow Jesus, you have a ministry. And whether you're a kid or an adult or somewhere in between, you have a ministry. What is it? Now, here's the really cool about, thing about this. You don't have to be competent. You don't have to have all this skill. You don't have to have all this training. You don't have to be able to parse Greek verbs. It's overrated. Trust me, all right? Like, you don't have to be able to do those things. If you have that training, great, wonderful. God can use it. But you don't need that. You don't need to have this amazing skill. All you need to do is come before God and recognize that it's not your competence and your skills and your talents that matter. It's God's presence in your life that matters. Amen? I will. It's not about the press. I'm not saying that, you know, marketing's bad. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that stuff. I'm just telling you that's not what it's about. God can use that too, right? God can use all kinds of things, and he does use all kinds of things. You know, commentator Kent Hughes uh, and pastor as well, he, he says it this way about this passage when he comments on this passage. He says this, God is not looking for gifted people or people who are self-sufficient. He is looking for inadequate people who will give their weakness to him and open themselves to the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the transforming grace of the new covenant as it is ministered by Christ Jesus himself. That's who God's looking for. If you are weak, God can use you. If you are broken, God can work through you. If you are strong, you must become weak and dependent on God before God will use you. God uses the, I mean, just think about the people in scripture that God uses. Think, think about how broken they were. David was broken. Solomon was broken. Elijah was broken. I mean, you could go through the list. You can go, Peter denied Christ uh, on the night that, that Jesus was betrayed. Peter denied him three times right after he said, I will never leave you. I'm never going to walk away. I'm never going to die. And Peter denied him three times. Peter was broken. And yet Jesus turned around and looked at him at one point and said, on this rock, I'll build my church. Jesus doesn't need more talent. He needs more brokenness. He needs willing hearts who come before God recognizing that we are broken people. We are sinful in need of grace and redemption. And we receive that in Jesus Christ. And when we come before him, it is not our amazing competence, our amazing skill. And not saying that we shouldn't develop skill. We absolutely should. If God's given you a gift, develop it. Work on it. So that God can use it for his glory all the more. Amen? But that's not what God's looking for. God's looking for brokenness. It isn't just that Paul is competent in his ministry. It's because the source of that competence is Jesus Christ. The effectiveness of his ministry and the transformed hearts are found in God himself. It is that the glory of Paul's ministry was superior to those who peddled the word of God for profit. And you go back a few verses at the end of chapter two and Paul talks about that, right? And you have these peddlers who are, who are out there. I just want to make a buck. I just want to go from town to town and, and whatever. I just want to make a buck. That's what they were in it for. 
And Paul says, no, that's not. That's not how we should approach that. He, he continues in verse 7. He says this. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which of, of that which lasts? Now, I'm not sure if you noticed, but glory is mentioned a lot in this passage. Right? I kind of highlighted that for you, didn't I? <laughs> when you see something repeated a couple of times, it's important. When you see something repeated 10 times, pay attention, Okay? The word glory, and just in the passage we just read, it's there 10 times. Glory is important in this passage. As a matter of fact, Paul's actually referencing Exodus chapters 32 through 34. And if you know the story, you know this is what happened. You know, Moses, Moses goes up to the mountain, right? And he receives the Ten Commandments. They're written on stone, right? He receives the law. And he comes back down, and then he has that whole golden calf you know, issue, and they're worshiping the golden calf, and, and it's a giant mess. We'll just kind of sum it up that way. It's a giant mess, and, and God's going to clean house, and Moses is, is kind of encourages God, hey, how about some grace? And so there's some kind of grace, right? And so, but, he, but he broke the tablets. He got so mad, he broke tablets. So he's got to go back up the mountain, and he, and he spends time with God, and he, and he receives the law again. Now, here's what would happen in that passage. When Moses would come down off the mountain, he had he, he had seen the glory of God. It, it, there's actually this spot where, where God shows him his glory, but kind of shows him his back. And, and, and so he comes down, and the glory shows on his face. And I don't mean he's smiling. I mean he's, like, glowing. And I don't mean, like, you know, his skin's glowing. I mean he's literally, like, light bulb glowing, you know? Like LED kind of glowing. He's glowing. As a matter of fact, what happens is the people are afraid because he's been in the presence of God and, and, and they see him and he's different and he's got this glow, right? This LED light bulb kind of glow on, on him and, and, and they're afraid of him. And so, and so he, he puts a veil over his face so that they, don't, they won't see it. And as a matter of fact, not only that, but, but the, the, the place where, where the tent of meeting is set kind of outside away from the camp because the people of Israel are afraid of, of, because of this glory of God, right? This glory that's shown on, on Moses' face. They're afraid. They're afraid they might lose their life. And so they, they, the tent is set outside. And here's what would happen. When Moses would go and spend time with God, he'd go out to the tent of meeting and, and this, this pillar of cloud would come down and he'd be in the presence of God. Then he'd come out and he'd wear the veil so that, so that people wouldn't be afraid. And, it, and, it, and there was this glory, right? But, and so Paul's referencing this idea and saying, look, if, if there was glory with the law, with what brought the law, the, the law's good, right? There's glory, but the law brings death because the law shows us that we are actually already dead because of the impact and the effect of sin on humanity. 
And the law shows us that. And Paul even talks about this in Romans. And he, and he basically says the, the, law, the law shows us our, 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 our sin, right? Without it, we might not recognize it, but we, we recognize it because we have the law of God and it's a good law, it's a just law, it's a righteous law, and it shows us that we're fallen, that we do not live up to God's standards. And because of that, because of sin, there is a consequence, right? There is, there is death. And so it shows us that we are already dead. And so Paul references that and says, here's this, here's this law, right? And it comes with glory. There's glory in it. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Even though it shows us that we're really already dead, it, it's a good thing. It's a glorious thing because it shows us also that God is a righteous and just God. Amen? And so it shows us something about God as well. And so Paul's referencing that. He's going back to that. And, 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 he's, and he's saying, that came with glory. How much more? How much more this new covenant? How much more is this glory available to us? How much more glorious is the new message? And here's, here's one way of thinking about it. And I don't know if you like to go camping. I, I, I don't go very often. I, I wish I could go a lot more than I do. But, you know, go camp. You go up into the mountains, you go camping, backpacking, something like that. And you set up tent right? And you, you kind of have this campsite and maybe you're, maybe you're in Estes Park or something like that and you're way back in the mountains and, you know, miles back and you set up and there's no, there's no light pollution. You know, you know there's, no, there's no lights from the city that are, that are filling the sky and, 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 it's a, and it gets dark and maybe the campfire goes out. And if you can even light a campfire, you usually can't. It's really kind of a bummer. But anyways, you're there at camp, right? And, 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 and it gets dark and it gets pitch black except for it's a clear night. And you look up into the, into the sky and you see all those stars. You ever had that experience? It's, it's unbelievable, right? And, and you forget because we live so close, so, you know, close to the cities with all that light pollution, you forget the glory of God's creation in this way. And, and, and you can sit and you can just look and it's beautiful and it's gorgeous and there's stars everywhere. They fill the sky. But something happens every morning. The glory of the stars disappears because the sun comes up. And all of a sudden, we have this giant, glorious sun. I don't know about today, but most days in Colorado, in the sky. And all of a sudden, you can't see the stars at all. In other words, the glory of this new thing that comes up, the sun, as it comes up in the morning, it, it covers the glory of the, of, the, of the stars in the same way, the new covenant, the glory of Jesus Christ, of God coming in the flesh, outshines the glory of the old covenant. It wasn't that there was no glory in the old covenant. It's that the new covenant is eternal. The new covenant is something you, ex you can experience consistently. Moses had to keep going back into the presence of God in that way in order to, to have that glory show on his face once again because it would fade, it would wear off. But in the new covenant, not only do we have God in the flesh going to the cross and shedding his blood, but we have the Holy Spirit who is with us moment by moment. We have a glory that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ that they knew nothing of. In the same way that the sun outshines the glory of the stars, so Jesus and the grace and the forgiveness that he offers through the cross outshines the covenant, the old covenant, the law. It's a glorious thing. And this is what Paul is saying. He's, he's saying, look, their, their ministry, 
Their ministry is of the law. Their ministry is, is, is written in stone. Like the Ten Commandments, right? But this new covenant, this is glorious. As a matter of fact, the only way to really understand the glory of it, you, you may be able to see it to some degree as, as God presents it, but, but the re- the really the only way to understand it is, is this, but it says in the text, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Paul even talks about in this passage how, how even as they would read, you know, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, right? The, the law. They would read it and, and, he, and he would talk about how they were, their hearts were still veiled because they had hearts of stone. He's, he's referencing, you know, Ezekiel where it says that the, the, the heart of stone will be replaced with the heart of flesh. And he's saying they still have hearts of stone. They're veiled. They can't see the glory of the new, cove- new covenant. They can't see the glory of Jesus Christ. They, they are still veiled. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, it says the veil is taken away. See, veiled glory is unveiled only in Christ. Veiled glory is unveiled only in Christ. You know, you begin to think about this, and when it comes to church and, and, and Christians, and sometimes we, get, we can get pretty legalistic sometimes, can't we? We get, we get bent out of shape about our rules. We like our rules. And, 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 and rules have a purpose, right? There's a, there's a reason they're there. I'm not saying that we should ignore them or anything like that, that we shouldn't have any. I'm not saying any of those things. But I am telling you that the Old Testament was, was, was the law presented to us so that we could see the death that we exist in, so that we could understand the grace given through Jesus Christ and the life that, is, that comes through that because of the resurrection. And that, that that outshines all of those things and that we ought to just chill a little bit about the rules. And, and by that, I mean this, that we ought not run around with our rule book smacking everybody over the head and, and not pointing to Jesus Christ and saying, but there's love, there's grace, there's kindness, there's mercy, there's forgiveness. We need those things in our lives. I need those things in my life. The glory of God's grace expressed through the person of Jesus Christ far outshines the glory of the rules and the law that he's given. And we should remember that. We should remember that God's glory is shown in such an amazing way. And the question that I couldn't help but ask myself this week is why would we keep such glory to ourselves? I don't know if I know the answer to that totally, but we often do. I mean, we often experience the grace of Jesus Christ and, we, and then we go out and we live and we live day by day and we live as if there, we haven't experienced God's grace and God's kindness. And, and Why? There's probably a lot of reasons. We're afraid. Maybe we think we might lose our job if we let it shine too much there. And I couldn't help but think of the kids' song. How's that go? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, right? I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And I sit here and go, why won't we let it shine? Yeah, you guys are good. We should sing some more. We will. You know, but what's, how's the verse go? Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. This is what we teach our kids in Sunday school class, right? And then we proceed as adults sometimes to walk out and hide it under a bushel. But the glory of God will not be hidden. 
It will not be hidden. Verse 12 says this, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the seeing the end of what was passing away. And he has this phrase, right? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Now, here's what I was afraid of as I, as I read this. I went, you know, that word bold, because we talk about that, and I think some of us have in mind that when we talk about being bold, we have this idea that we're in people's faces, right? Like, like we're going to be in their faces, and that's, that's boldness. I'm in their face. That, that's not what Paul's talking about. That's not what the word means. The word means something different. It's not about your personality, right? Like, you know, I'm kind of, I'm not very, um, how should I put it? I'm not very uh, afraid of confrontation, right? That's just not who I am. Some people, some people are, they they don't, they don't like controversy. They like everybody to love each other and be at peace. And and I like that too. Don't get me wrong. I I love that as well. I'm not, I don't need confrontation, right? But I'm not afraid of it. I want people to live at peace and things, but some people are so bent that way that, that they have a hard time saying anything that might be construed in any way as confronting somebody or bringing up something controversial or, or saying something that might offend somebody. And so they, so they go off, kind of way off, off the road, if you will, into the ditch, and, and they won't do any of that stuff. And so here's, here's what I'm saying. I'm not, you don't, boldness isn't about confrontation. Don't think of it that way. Don't think of it as a personality trait. The, it, if you look at the, the Greek word, it actually has kind of this idea of frankness or openness. In other words, this is just who I am. Because of the work that God has done in my life, this is just who I am. And this is what I, what I love. And this is how I live. And, and this is who I believe in. And this is how he's impacted my life. And I'm going to live that way. And I'm going to speak that way. Not because I'm getting in anybody's face. Not because I'm shouting from the street corner. Not because I'm doing those things, but just because this is what God's done in my life and it's the most important thing that's ever happened to me. And, and to not talk about the glory of the gospel and how it has influenced your life, why would you not do that? Why would you not express the gospel story because of how it has influenced you? Why would you keep it a secret? Why wouldn't you be frank and open? In other words, be consistent and live a life that is redeemed by Jesus Christ and live as if it's been redeemed in, the, in all of your life, in every area, in every aspect of your, of your life. Live that way. Somebody, somebody brings up a, an issue and you, 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 don't be afraid to mention God or Jesus. Just if that's what you think, then say it. If that's what you think scripture teaches, then say it. Then live that way. Then follow it. That's all. Not looking for opportunities to, to, to be in people's faces, but be authentic. Be real. If Jesus really has made a difference in your life, then he doesn't just do it on Sunday mornings. He's done it every day of the week, every hour of the day, and every minute of the hour. Amen? Paul's saying, because of the glory of the new covenant, the glory of the gospel, the glory of Jesus Christ, he cannot hide it under a bushel? No. That's what Paul's saying. Nor should we. We should listen to the songs that we teach our children. We should let our light shine. God's glory, has sh- God's glory was shown in part through Moses, but it is shown more fully and eternally through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In case you haven't tracked with me, right? The stars we see at night, that's Old Covenant. 
the sun as it comes up today, that's the new covenant. That's the gospel message that outsigns the stars. And we're in close proximity to it. Paul goes on though in verse 16, he says this, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The only way for the veil to be removed, for us to experience the true glory of God, is for us to put our faith and trust in Jesus. Moses had the law, and it transformed him. But it was temporary. He had to keep going back. When the gospel transforms us, we receive the Holy Spirit. It's eternal. The Spirit is always with us. The glory that we experience through the gospel of Jesus Christ is with us day after day after day after day. We don't have to go back because it's always there. It's always in our presence. It is only through this freedom that is found in the spirit of the Lord, a freedom from bondage, a freedom from slavery to sin, a freedom from death. It is only in that freedom that we experience the true presence of Jesus Christ. See, you have to die hard before you can live free in Christ. I know a bunch of you were just thinking about a movie, weren't you? I'm not talking about a Bruce Willis movie. But that's a, that's a real thing, right? We have to die hard if we want to experience the, 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 and to live free in Christ. We have to die hard. We have to die to all our plans. We have to die to our ambitions. We have to die to what we want. We have to die to our rights to some kind of life. We have to die to all of those things because our life doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Jesus Christ. Here's the reality. You will be a slave. The question is, will you be a slave to sin or will you be a slave to Jesus? That's the question. Will you be a slave to bondage? Or will you experience freedom? I know, slave freedom, it doesn't make sense. But God gives us freedom when we understand what the gospel has done for us. That freedom comes through that gospel because it frees us to live as God intended us to live. It frees us from the the oppression of sin the oppression of death, the oppression of all of those things in our, in our life. We must die to this life, die to our sin, perhaps our plans, even our desires, if we are going to experience true freedom, which is found only in Jesus Christ. The reality is this. We're already dead if we haven't found Jesus. It is only through Jesus Christ that we experience new life. We have uh, Sandy Peterson's here this morning. Yeah. I asked her if I could talk about her, and she said yes. I was planning on talking about her anyway. She just happened to be here, so I asked her. <laughs> but I don't know if you know, some of you might not know Sandy. Sandy and uh, Pete and Sandy have been part of the church for a, lo- for a long time. I mean, not recently, because they moved away. I'm still mourning that loss, but... Um, but d- d- dear, dear uh, members of Grace for a long time and, and Pete uh, helped do a lot of the stuff you see around here actually and, and, and was, was here probably more than I was some weeks it seemed like and, but, but Sandy had some heart issues um, 
And as a matter of fact, it was, he'd gone into the hospital a bunch of times and they, they thought it was other things. And, and uh, eventually they figured out it was the heart and they actually flew her from Grand Junction to Denver because of her heart situation. Now, here's the amazing part about this whole story, right? And, and, and we've been praying for her. And if you, if you follow the prayer chain and stuff like that, and I was on Facebook and stuff, I, you know, pray for Sandy. And Laura, their daughter, was always posting stuff, updates, and which is great. Uh, but Sandy goes into the hospital and she needs a new heart. Her heart was dying. Her heart wasn't going to last. Now, here's, here's the amazing part of this whole story. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. Actually, don't correct me. Just pretend I'm right if I'm, if I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> I think it goes something like this. It was, it was at 10 o'clock at night that you got put on the actual waiting, the waiting list for a, for a new heart on the transplant list. And she had, they had to get some, some metrics just right to get her on the list, to give her a high probability. And they had a heart, they found a heart within four hours. Is that right? Within four hours of her being put on the list, they, they found a heart in four hours. And by, I think it was about 10 o'clock the next morning. Is that about right? 10 o'clock the next morning, they were putting the heart in her chest. That doesn't happen. I mean, it does, but it's rare, right? It's, this is miraculous, you guys. Now, here's the, here's the crazy part. Her recovery's been really good as well. It's been, it's been amazing to, to watch and just to get the updates and all stuff. Her recovery's been amazing. But I want you to understand something about this. It's a transplant. In other words, somebody else passed away and gave her new life. That's the gospel story. Her body was weak. It wasn't going to make it. But somebody else's life, somebody else's, the end of somebody else's life, gave her a brand new heart. That's what happened with Jesus Christ. When we put our faith and trust in him, we get a new life because he replaces the heart of stone that we had with a heart of flesh that's strong, not because of us, but because it's a heart from him. That's the gospel story. That's new life. That's what Paul's talking about. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, you are glorious. Your light shines so bright, we can't cover it up. You took on flesh. You went to the cross. You shed your blood. Lord God, you paid the price. Your death means our life. But it's not just your death that means our life. It's your life, your resurrection, your conquering of death and sin that means our, our life, a new life for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would, this morning, we have not died well so that we could live free, that you would help us to do that this morning. If we have, if we have experienced that death so that we could, and we could live free in you, Lord, help us to embrace that truth and to live as if it is not by our power that anything gets done but by yours, that lives are transformed, that your word is written on people's hearts everybody's head bowed and their eyes closed, if you're sitting here this morning and you 